Well, good evening. I appreciate that special, and that was a love to see Miss Erin just as proud as could be there, and so appreciate that. It's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. Joshua 24, if you would, this evening, uh, like we stated uh, last week, tonight will be the last message in this particular series Uh, And then I believe starting next week, we'll have Brother Lamar taking for a period of time as he'll be preaching a series. And so we're looking forward to that. Uh, We'll start getting the Wednesday crowd back when he starts preaching. And so appreciate that. You know, that'll be good cover for me a little bit that way. And so Joshua 24, uh, like we said, uh, actually uh, leading up to this message, this is kind of where uh, God had put it on my heart to almost get to to start. And so really we did all of this to get to our starting place. And so I think that was of the Lord, but uh, looking forward here to tonight. It being 745 already, we're only going to preach an hour, and so be easy here tonight. And so uh, no, we'll try to be mindful of the time. Joshua 24, uh, we'll start reading in verse uh, 14. The Bible says, Now therefore, if you remember what took place before the therefore... Uh, leading up to this was God revealing all of the things that he had done for them. He declared back to them all that he had done. And he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great sights in, uh, signs in our sight. And preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for He is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto these people, unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful this evening to be in your house. God, we're thankful that as we gather here we can proclaim and declare to you and thank you for the salvation that you've given us and for your grace and your mercy that you've 
uh, bestowed upon us. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come boldly before your throne tonight and as we were to take tonight and uh, apply some time towards prayers and things that we have a need of you in, God, we know that you desire to hear us and desire to answer us. And, uh, we know that you're a good God and we're thankful. And God, as we uh, look to your word now, we ask for your blessing on this time. Might it be honorable to you? Might it be profitable uh, to us? We love you. and In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we've gone through now uh, about 60 years since God showed up miraculously to bring them out of the land of Egypt, it's actually been 500 years since God has made his promise to Abraham and God's been at work through the seed of Abraham in preparing them for this place right here. Uh, throughout all the time that we've been talking and all the time that we've been looking at uh, the nation of Israel and what God's been doing with them, it's all been leading up to this place that they could have the nation, that they could be in the land of blessing, that God could begin to use them in the nation that he prepared for them for the purpose that he brought them there for. Uh, It's really all been leading up to the time that's going to kick off now. In a lot of ways, after all we've discussed for the nation of Israel, it's really beginning right now as a nation. Of course, we know how that plays out for them in a lot of ways. But at this point, we've already talked about how much of a success and wonder and blessing that they've experienced to this point. Now they have the land. And really in the beginning of chapter 24, God begins to fill Israel in on what he's been doing for the last 500 years. He explains, uh, he showcases and, and lays it out that he was the one who called and guided and sustained Abraham. This was not happenstance. It was not uh, uh, just a circumstance that took place. This was God that purposefully did that. He was the one that gave a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old a son of promise. He was the one that prepared Joseph, if you remember, uh, to have a place for his people to multiply and be sustained amidst a famine. He was the one who called and used Moses and Aaron to guide Israel. He was the one that defeated Egypt through plagues and miracles and the parting of the Red Sea. He said he was the one who fought for Israel to defeat the many nations in the land. And at the end, he says he is the one that gave them a nation, cities, and a home. In verse 13, he says, I have given you a land which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and oliveyards which ye planted not, do ye eat. And what he says is he's explaining to Israel here, as plain as it could be, that all of what they've experienced was all him. That the whole time it's been him. Every step of the way, every blessing, every battle, every good thing that they had was because of the gracious and merciful hand of Jehovah. All of it. And they needed to know this. This was something imperative for them to not only understand, but for them to recount at this time. That everything that they had today and every step of the way and the sustenance and the blessing and the providence and the protection and all of the success was all by the hand of God. They needed to understand this. And really, tonight we don't have time to 
to get into it too deeply, but for us, the same could be written. God could, if, if he desired to, he could tonight come and write paragraphs of all that he's done from every step of the way, of how he sustained us and guided us and protected us and, and gave us success. He plainly says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. That everything good, every blessing, uh, every success you and I have had has been because of him. If we're aware of it. And I, I have the opportunity tonight to tell you about every success, everything that he's done for me as a sinner to lead me to him. I mean, I can't imagine if we were to just go all the way back and if he would declare tonight that he died for, I mean, each one of us as a wicked sinner that didn't care, that didn't know, that, that gave him no reverence for it, that he died for us while we were sinners that we could have hope. But then beyond that, I know that in my life, he, he allowed me to hear the gospel. And for me, I think everybody's thankful for that that's a believer. But for me, statistically, that's literally a one in a million chance where I was from. That God would allow me to hear the gospel. And he didn't just allow me. He sought me. He organized it that I might hear. And he organized it so that I would hear in a time that I would have the ability to even receive it. That I'd be at a place in my heart that I could do that. And then as my, my home life would fall apart and dangerous things would come, God would protect me through all of that. And I won't even get into all of that right now. And then even though all of what God had already done, I would run into a wicked life full force, and yet he would keep me and protect me from going so far that I would lose my whole life. What an amazing God. And he would be there waiting for me when I would get so far from him that I couldn't take it anymore. There he was, ready, prepared to bring me home. And he would put people in my life to teach me and to disciple me. He would show me in an amazing thing that such a thing like Bible college exists. Never had occurred to me that such a thing would even exist. He would call me to a life of purpose. He would give me just what I needed so that I might be able to serve him and continue. And then later God would give what I would understand and what I would see in the mirror as a, a loser, thug, criminal, he would give me a, a wife and a family. Uh, why? Why would God be so good? And then he would use me, as Paul would say, putting me into the ministry. I didn't do that. I couldn't have done that. <laughs> my, I think my life verse here in Ephesians 3.8, I think about this every time I recall these circumstances where Paul would say, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I would think God would do that. Every step of the way, it was Him. It was His power and His love and His sustenance and His grace and His mercy so that I could stand here today. And for each one of us, we could all, if we were aware, if we were paying attention, could write stories of how each step of the way God was there doing something 
that God has protected and guided and his, he's been good. And of course I could talk about problems and pains and disappointments, plenty, sure. But they've all been utterly and completely eclipsed by the goodness of God in my life. I'd be a fool to complain. And what God is declaring to Israel here and what he would declare to us today is that uh, he's proven himself. You with me here? That he, he needs no more to prove himself faithful and true and righteous and good. That nobody here can say, God, can you just prove that you're a good God? I don't know. I'm not sure. We could say that, but we'd be crazy. Now, you might just be starting out in your journey. Maybe you haven't seen the goodness of God yet. Uh, maybe you were just saved yesterday, and you got plenty of goodness right there if you were. <laughs> but that's okay if you're not there yet, because let me tell you what, if you, if you understand and you pay attention and you serve Him for any length of time, at the end of it, if you're aware and you're paying attention at all, you're going to say, God's good. And so God lays out, he gives Israel an inventory of his works, and we would do well to recount the totality of God's goodness to us tonight as well. That that would be a good thing tonight, that as we preach and as we're thinking of these things, for you to just recall how good God has been. That you could be here tonight. We, we could be in a much worse state. And so as God recalls this and he gives inventory, he then comes in verse 14 and he says, Now therefore, because God's been good, because God's been there, because God's allowed all of this, because God has proved himself faithful, true, and mighty to you, he asks for faithfulness, loyalty, and service. He has proved himself faithful, and he would ask that we would commit ourselves to him. He says, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Fear the Lord is what he says. He says, uh, because God's been true, because God's been faithful, because God has poured out his love and providence upon you, therefore you ought to fear God. In other words, like treat him like he's really God. Have a fear, an understanding of the fact that you are serving the mighty, uh, 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 great, powerful uh, uh, God of heaven and earth. He says, understand, that's who you're serving. And fear him. Have a, a fearful respect for his position, his might, his rulership. Treat God like he is God. And serve him in sincerity and truth. Totally sold out, totally committed, totally loyal. No hint of hypocrisy, no second guessing. In truth, not with empty words and promises that mean nothing. And I can only, as I was thinking of this, only think of recalling hopefully maybe the day you were married. And if you would recall that moment where you would stand and before God and before your friends and your family, you would declare vows that you would say to this person, I'm committing my life to you until one of us dies. And what an amazing thing. And hopefully this is your testimony that when you stood there, man, there was no question in your mind. That was it. 
You said, this is the person I'm going to commit my life to before a bunch of people. Isn't that amazing? Of amidst 8 billion people, you'd say that one. That one right there. Actually, that one right there, not over there. Whoever's back there, not you. It's not you, it's this one. (laughs) And just that moment where you would, uh, uh, with complete sincerity in the vows you would make, where you'd have no sense of apprehension, and you would desire, you were looking forward to it. You were looking forward to the moment that you would commit your life to this person. And God says, that's the kind of commitment I want. I want you to stand before me and say, without apprehension, without concern, without worrying like my whole life, that you would say before God, you've got my whole life. And God would say it this way, I've earned that. And Joshua comes and he presents it, uh, uh, but as a decision. In Joshua 24, 14, he says, uh, Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Uh, Joshua presents it as a choice. He cuts right through the nonsense, and he calls them out to choose, to decide. Now, if you're understanding where we're going with all of this, uh, God has been teaching them and maturing them and trying to get them to a place that they would be able to not only inhabit the land of blessing without incurring his wrath, but be able to be a testimony and be used as a lighthouse to showcase God to the world. And as God matures them, they go from a people that are immature to a people that should be grown enough that a choice is necessary. If you understand how this works, I've never said to my 10-year-old, Madeline, you decide if you want to obey me or not. Can you just make that decision today? Nope. Doesn't work that way with children, does it? With children, there is no decision. You don't don't set your children down and say, all right, now, six-year-old, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether your parents or... No, you don't do that. They obey or they are punished. And they are punished until they obey. At least if you're a parent. We don't need to talk about that part of it right now. But that's the way it works. And God has now decided that that period of growth is over. See, previously, God would give them command, and when they disobeyed, he would send a plague until they repented and turned back to him. He punished until they obeyed. You understand? And now at this point of growth, he says, listen... Let's clear it away. Now, it's too, it's, no more of that kind of thing is going to happen. Now we've got to make a decision. Now you're grown. Now you're in the land. Now you've taken the blessings. You're here. It's time to be an adult. And he says, now, instead of that aspect, now choose you this day whom you will serve. It's a decision's coming. He presents it as a decision. And as he presents it, he says, listen... Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. He says, if it's the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, you go ahead and serve those if that's who you want to serve. But he says, put them away. And what's an amazing thought that we've already noted 
is that as they've been coming through all of this, an amazing thought that we could see here tonight in the Scripture is that throughout all of this, after all that God has done, after all God has blessed them with and taken them through, God says now, listen, finally put away the gods that your fathers served in Egypt. And when I first read this, I would think, are you kidding? They still have the gods of Egypt? Can you imagine that tonight? That as they have served Jehovah and as they have followed him and as they've been uh, punished for their sin and their disobedience and God has now blessed them and they've seen success and they've taken the land, the whole time the gods of Egypt have still been there lurking throughout. They've not been completely gone. Israel had not totally given up their false gods from Egypt. He says they haven't completely rejected the gods of the people. Meaning this whole time as God blessed them, as they made claims of obedience, as they progressed in their faith and in their journey, they still had idols. As God had defeated the Amorites, Israel still wasn't sure that the God of the Amorites was all that bad of a God. In other words, they're still on the fence about this whole thing. This whole time they're straddling the fence and committing adultery on the Lord. We don't have time to look at all of this, but in Jeremiah 3.20, God likens idolatry to adultery. If we were to go through the book of Hosea, God would showcase through his own prophet how much and how clear the idea of serving another God besides the God that loved you and cared for you and bought you with his own blood, how much that's like adultery in its most purest sense. Israel, the entire time, though, God was proving his faithfulness to them. He was showing his grace and his goodness to them. They were, for lack of better words, cheating on him the whole time. That's been going on the whole time. And unfortunately, if we're honest with ourselves, as God's been at work in our lives, we've been there too, haven't we? Is there anybody here that would say, since, the, since God started working in my life from the time that I got saved, I've not gone after anything else in this world. He's been my 100% pure and total focus and the God of my life the whole time. Nobody could say that. We've all been taken with other gods. And in my life, as God's been at work proving himself true and faithful, man, so many times I was found running from him. So many times I was found following pleasures and money and worldliness. All while God was being good to me, I had committed adultery on him over and over. And the reality is, is that's true for probably all of us. We've been there. We've been right there. And it's, we could talk here tonight about how often Christians are enamored with the gods of this world. And we could talk about how the reason that they serve those idols is because these idols were supposed to provide the uh, success as far as the, maybe the fertility or whether they would provide a good harvest, whether they would make them rich or powerful or provide their pleasures. As oftentimes, not to be graphic, but idolatry would go hand in hand uh, with sexual lasciviousness and it would provide those things. And all of these gods would meet their needs and their lusts 
and their desires to be rich and powerful and and have all of their uh, lusts fulfilled. And here in our country, we don't have little gods that do that. We just worship those things directly. And we go, it's not idolatry. It's not idolatry if it's not a little statue. No, it's the same thing. If you worship a little statue that's going to give you money, or if you worship money itself, it's both idolatry. In fact, and maybe this is the wrong way to look at it, but I'm thinking at least this one's closer to being like God. Nobody was with me on that. Okay, whatever. (laughs) The idea is the same. And yet so often, we as believers are so constantly enamored with the gods of this world And it's no different than the idolatry that Israel was in. And so God would tell us, as he told Israel, make a choice. Decide. The whole time Israel has been adulterous. And listen, God's known about that the entire way. And he's blessed them anyway to this point, hasn't he? Despite after every miracle, after every blessing, they would still betray him. And yet he would still be faithful and true even though they were unfaithful and deceptive. The whole time they were harboring within their camp other gods and sensitivity to the gods of the Amorites, and they would have this desire, and the whole time God would still be faithful. He would still bring them into the land of promise. And now, after that time of being taken advantage of, after being defiled in their hearts with their desire for other gods, he simply asks them to choose. He lays it out, and he says, before we go any further... I know. You know that moment? If you ever think about a spouse cheating on another one, and the conversation comes where one sits down and goes, listen, I know. Make a decision. That's what God does here. He says, I know. I've been good and faithful and true anyway. I've known the whole time. But now, make a decision. And in our lives, God has blessed us immensely. We could take the time to talk about all of his blessings. We could talk about all of how he has been faithful and and has never left us, never forsaken us, never been too busy for us. How he brought us to this place today where we can praise him for his goodness. And all the while, if this is true, all the while, God has known about every sin that we've harbored every unfaithfulness, every desire for the things of this world more than for him, every time we've chosen a God of this world over the God that saved us, he knows. None of it's been hidden from him. We haven't deceived anybody. When we've decided to choose the gods of this world and we have that sin that nobody knows about, maybe nobody in church ever is going to hear, nobody in this world ever is going to know, and nobody's going to question your allegiance, but God knows. He knows. See, we pretend we go, I just struggle with this sin. No, 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 you make a choice. We all make a choice. And maybe I don't know, maybe nobody knows, but he knows. And he says, I've been good anyway. But at a certain point, God says, listen, let's wake up, let's reveal it, let's showcase it, and let's say, what do you want? What's it going to be? I've been good despite the sin in your life. I've been good despite the fact that you've betrayed and gone after the gods of this world and the gods of your desires and not me for so long. But eventually with God, there comes a time where he says, no, 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 no more. Decide. Which one do you want? 
That's what he does here. God says, listen, I'm not going to be your backup plan forever. I'm not going to be some backseat aspect of your life. And so many believers, that's the idea of Christianity. Is that it's just some aspect, it's some title. It's some part of my life where I just say, yeah, I like to fish and I like to go walk on the beach and I'm also Christian. And that's all it is. And God says, listen, as you get to know me, we're going to go through that together and I'm going to show myself faithful and true in that. I don't want to miss that tonight. But I want you to understand that at a certain point, God says, no, 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 no more. You got to decide. You got to decide if it's going to be me or it's going to be the things that you want. God's not going to be the backup plan forever. He's proven himself faithful. And at a certain point, he demands that you decide whether he's going to be enough for you. I've kind of titled this message, I don't do that, but if I did tonight, I would ask this question. This would be the title. Is the Lord God enough for you? Is he God enough for you? See, we have all the things that we want and we have all the desires and we do just what the Israelites do. We hedge our bets. We make no statements of affirmation about anything. I can't tell you how many times on social media I have Christians start their Christian statements with, I just want to make sure that I don't land on either side of this thing. Somebody will say, well, is the Bible true? Well, I just want to make sure I don't land on either side of this thing. Yeah, you can only do that for so long. At a certain point, God says, what do you want? What's it going to be? Do you want me or do you want the gods of this world? And that's what he says to them. The mantra of modern Christianity is what was often the mantra of Israel, unfortunately, is that we can have the Lord and everything else we would ever want. We can fulfill all of our lusts and call ourselves Christians. The Israelite, oftentimes from this point and, and many times in the future as we would go, they would often declare, hey, we can serve Jehovah and Baal and Ashtoreth and Anubis and all, we can serve them all as long as we just also serve the Lord. And the mantra of the modern Christian is you can serve the world in every aspect as long as you also serve God. And God says that's not how it works. You can't serve all the gods of the world and me. At a certain point, you've got to make a choice. What's it going to be? It's time to decide whether we want to be loyal to the Lord or to the world. There's a place and a time where we grow and we mature, but at a certain point in time, we have to put to bed the idea of wishy-washy, flaky Christianity where we're always on the fence about everything where everything's always up in the air, where it's always the issue of whatever the issue's brought up, whatever the idea of serving God, where it always goes, well, you know, you could see it both ways. I don't know, you know. Should a Christian go to church? I don't know. Who's to say? Should you read your Bible? Well, I mean, probably should, but, you know, it's not like you're not a Christian if you don't. Well, how about all these issues of things that the Bible declares sin? Well, I mean... You know, sin and what have you, what the Bible says. I mean, you can look at everything a lot of different ways. And there, listen, I understand that that's how it goes as we grow. But there comes a time where we say, listen, no more of that. I'm deciding that it's either going to be the Lord or it's going to be the world. 
There comes a time where we have to put to bed the idea of wishy-washy, flaky Christianity where as soon as somebody rubs us the wrong way, we're out. We're done with this whole Christianity thing. Uh, enough of having to be begged to be a part of evangelism. You with me? Maybe not. That's okay. It's, it's right here. There comes a time where we have to be beyond the place where we've got to be begged into telling the world about Jesus. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that. I don't mean it in a mean way. I'm just saying that there comes a time where we've decided we're going to be about the basic commission that Jesus says we're here for. There comes a time where we have to make that decision or decide we're not going to. One or the other. But there comes a time where we can't be on the fence and go, well, I just don't know if Christians really should, you know. I think you just be a kind of a good person and they'll see, you know. I understand if you're growing and that's where you are, I don't want to be mean. But there comes a time where God says, listen, I said preach the gospel to every creature. Yes or no? What do you want to do? Where are you at? What's it going to be? So many believers fighting to justify more and more worldliness so that they can worship all the gods that they want and call it Christianity. And God eventually says, no, 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 choose. You can have all of that if you want. He says, listen, if you want all the gods of the world, go get them. But choose. Enough of it. Enough of having to be begged just to show up to church. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do that, but at a certain point, choose. Just decide. Whatever it's going to be, I'm going to love you anyway. But choose. See, for most of us here, and some of us are growing, and that's okay, but for most of us, we have all the information that we need about God. For most of us here, God does not need to prove himself anymore. No more trial run is necessary. The 90 days free trial is long over for most of us. You with me? We've got all the information we need. We're not testing the product anymore. The time has come. Is it going to be him or not? Eventually it comes time where we just can't pretend anymore. Eventually it comes time where we can no longer pretend that we're sincerely serving God exclusively with all our heart when we can't even make it to church at all. It's at a certain point. I don't, hopefully you don't understand. I, you understand, I'm not trying to be mean here about that. At a certain point, we have to understand that the basic mission of the local church and spreading the gospel and loving people and being able to baptize them and, and teach them all things whatsoever he's commanded us is just the basic things of Christianity. And we have to decide whether we're going to be a part of that or not at a certain point. And the idea here, and, and listen, no one here ought to look to anyone else to condemn their faithfulness to God because of things like church attendance or if they can make it out on a Saturday morning. or something. That's not the idea here at all. That's not the point of what we're getting at. Don't intentionally misinterpret it that way. This is about really for wherever God has you is, he, is if you've decided to serve God entirely or if you've got some gods of this world still lingering in your tent. That's the point for you. Not for you to look at somebody else and position yourself above them or for you to look down on them because they do or don't do. No, not the point at all. The point is, is is there gods of Egypt in your tent? That's the point. Are you still serving something else? Are you still sitting on the fence where you're not sure? You know whether that's true for you or not. 
I'm not going to sit here and try to judge you about that. And so he says, listen, God says, I know about the gods you choose. We have to hurry, but look at their response in verse 16. The people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did grow great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They made a claim. We're going to do it. They said, in other words, of course we'll serve the Lord. Of course we will. He's been so good to us. He's been so faithful. He's been true. We would never forsake the Lord. And I don't know if you caught this, but the initial answer intentionally ignores their blatant adultery. Intentionally. The answer was, listen, I know about the idolatry. What's it going to be? The Lord or the idols? And they go, well, of course we would serve God. What are you talking about? What a crazy thing to say, Joshua. I don't even know what's going on. Of course we serve the Lord. Do you understand the answer here? Of God's been so good, of course, we would never serve anyone else. No, no, you don't understand. You've already been caught. It's already there. God already knows. The answer isn't that what you think God wants to hear. They were doing all the things God required. And they were following God in so many areas. And yet they disregarded in their hearts and in their speech their own idolatry. And this is so often right where we're at as believers. We share the I love Jesus Facebook posts, hashtag blessed. We come to church. We do the things that look Christian. And we declare that of course we love the Lord, that he's our all in all, that we're so glad for our salvation. And yet so often there's little idols hiding right in our heart. All the while there's hidden sins that we're just clinging to and keep on in them. And we go, yes, of course, I, I would never serve anyone else but the Lord. When the reality is, is we're doing it every day. And we're pretending. We're pretending or we're being intentionally ignorant of our own idolatry. And Joshua says, listen, no, 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 no you didn't get it. This is not some trite formality. God's not looking for uh, 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 your lip service here. God's not looking for you to tell him what, he th- what you want to hear. He says, really choose. In verse 19, Joshua said to the people, no, no, no. You cannot serve the Lord. You don't understand. It's not going to work that way anymore. Where you say what God wants to hear and continue in your idolatry. No more. He says, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. It was said this way by somebody more eloquent than me. If neither gratitude to God, love to your children, common justice to your servants, nor even the most prevailing motive of self-interest will excite Yet let a consideration of the terrors of the Lord persuade you to put in practice the pious resolution in this text. That was eloquent, wasn't it? That was nice. Sounds nice that way. 
He says, listen, if, if you're not even going to be gra- have some gratefulness and thankfulness to God for all that he's done for you, if you're not going to uh, put into practice to serve the Lord for the love for the, your children and the generations and the things that you're going to put into place, if the idea of self-interest in the fact that God has blessed you And if you'll just serve him sincerely and wholly, he'll bless you more. If none of that will help, maybe this will. If you continue on pretending you're wholehearted when you've got idols in your hearts, secret sins, things that you've held back, desires and lusts for the things of this world instead of God, he says, let it be known. He will turn and do you hurt. We don't have time to develop it tonight. We actually need to quit. But if we were to go through the New Testament, we could develop the case that God does not tolerate it any more today than he did back then. He's not a different God. He's not a different God that when we come to him and we have the lip service of God, I love you, I'm in church, come on, I do all the things, when really we're serving other gods in this world and our lusts and our heart and our desire is for all the things that are not God, that's not going to fly any better today than it did back then. He's still righteous. He's still holy. And his demand is still, listen, I have served, I've blessed you. I've provided for you. I've been there for you. So therefore, serve me in sincerity and in truth. Put away the other gods. Let's get real. Decide. Make a decision. Or, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And they testify that they will, in fact, serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you've become witnesses against yourselves, that you've chosen the Lord. And I love Joshua's statement within that where he says, I mean, he's, he's right there nearly on his deathbed. And he goes, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he's already, this is not a from this point forward, this is, this is what we've done statement. And I love what Joshua says. He says, listen, you can pretend there's no idols. You can make all the statements you want. You can say, hey, listen, we have served the Lord. We just have these little issues in our lives. And you can make any claims you want. But Joshua says, listen, for me and my house, 100% the Lord. I'm not playing those games. I'm not casting my lot in with the pretend idolatry, the back and forth, the sitting on the fence. We're all in for the Lord. You do whatever you want to do. But we're in for the Lord. And can I tell you what? That ought to be our heart. That ought to be our desire. Our desire, as as so often the, the, the push and the desire of Christianity is to tear down every biblical principle and command entirely. To where the idea of a Christian is no, nobody that does anything other than to just say you're a Christian. That's the push of modern Christianity. You can do and be and look like and say and, and, and whatever you want to do, enjoy all the lusts and pleasures of this world and just call yourself a Christian. You're a Christian. And our desire ought to be is to look at that and go, listen, you choose whatever you're going to choose, but for me, in my house, it's 100% the Lord. I don't, God says it. That's where we're at. The end. It's not up for debate. We're not on the fence. We're not back and forth. Every other week is not a new story for us. We're not reserving judgment for a later point in time. We're not on social media afraid to declare a biblical standpoint because we're not really sure what we want to promote. At a certain point, our desire ought to be, listen, I choose the Lord and I'm going to stand right there. 
There it is. And what I love is that, and we're not going to do this tonight. We've got to quit, but we're not going to do this tonight. But Joshua says, no, 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 no. Really. Decide. Say it out loud. Make a decision. It's not, a, it's not just a in-your-heart type of a situation where Joshua was at. Like I said, we're not doing that tonight. But he says, that's not where we're at. He says, say it. What's it going to be? Where are we at? And this here, listen, this here is where their journey begins. With their commitment to wholly serve the revealed God that loves them. And for us, the Christian journey even though God takes us through so much to get us to this place, place the, the Christian journey really begins uh, to do amazing things and God begins to do a work in our life and God begins to use us in a mighty way when we finally get to the place that we say, listen, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what the world pro- promotes. I don't care what gods of this world promise me. Me and my house, the Lord, the end. We're going to do it. I'm in. I'm all in. Whatever God commands, I'm going through this book, and if the principles of this word say it, that's where we're at. No questions asked. We're not on the fence anymore. And when we get there, when we allow God to take us there, where he starts to prick our hearts and we go, he's starting to uncover those deep sins. He's starting to uncover those idols and the desires that we have that really take us away from the Lord, and we know they're idols. And when we allow him to do that, and we say, listen, okay, God, I'm in. I'm deciding all you. Man, God starts to do amazing things. That's when God starts to work in amazing ways. But we've got to get there. We've got to get there in our hearts. It's not about looking the park. It's not a part about showing up and doing all the things and saying, man, we of course we love the Lord. No, no, no. It's about really going home and saying the idols are gone. It's about really saying I'm off the fence. I'm all in one side. God says, listen, you choose. What do you want? You can go your whole life with having to be talked in to doing Christian things. But what's what's the point of that? Who wants to live that way? Do you want to have to be talked into being a Christian reluctantly every day? I mean, (laughs) I don't want to talk you into doing it, really. (laughs) God says, I've proven myself. Just choose me. What do you think, I'm going to hurt you? Have I not proven myself faithful? I died for you. I saved you. I've guided you. I've sustained you. I've, I've kept you safe all to this point. What do you think is going to happen if you just put away the gods and serve me wholeheartedly? What do you think is going to happen if you let go of all of those earthly desires and worldly lusts and the gods of this world and serve me faithfully? What do you think is going to happen? I'm going to turn on you? I've proven myself. Just choose me. But choose Decide. Stand to our feet this evening and bow our heads.